This morning's scripture lesson is found in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In college, I had a very interesting role. Okay, so uh, I, I can't actually remember how this started up, but, but at some point in college, I realized that there were a lot of events that were happening on campus, and you couldn't really do it all. One of those things was Greek life. There were all these uh, fraternities and sororities on campus that like, most of the college population was a part of. And I, I didn't end up going that route, um, mostly because there was no way I could pay for the dues. <laughs> um, but I still wanted to be a part of all of the events that Greek life put on. There were also lots of other organizations that were on campus that were doing all of these different things, and I wanted to be a part of as much of it as I could. And I learned pretty quickly that something that every single one of these events had in common was that they all, I mean without fail, they all had music at those events. So, what did I do? I decided, I'm gonna be a DJ. And that's what I did, uh, I mean like halfway through my freshman year. And I started accumulating all of this sound equipment. Uh, I mean like some really impressive sound equipment. I'm talking about four 22-inch kicker bass uh, subwoofers. I'm talking about like these, these massive PV cabinets that came up. They were like this tall, I'm, I'm not even joking, that, that had, had three, uh, three different line array speakers in them. I mean I, got, I had some impressive sound equipment. And because of that, everybody was like, oh, we need Micah at these events. Not only that, but I also had a, a pretty exceptional musical taste as well. And so, you know, don't mean to brag, but, <laughs> but people liked the music that I brought to the events. And I also threw some of my own DJ flair in there. And even better than that, is that I was hands down the cheapest DJ that anybody could find. <laughs> because I really, I didn't care about how much money I made. I just wanted to be at the events. So I was DJing with some really impressive music equipment and, and, uh, and I did this throughout all of college and it got me into all of these Greek life events, got me into all of these activities. Um, I, would, I would then started DJing other events as well in the community, fireworks shows and stuff like that. Yeah, because my sound equipment could overpower fireworks. That's how awesome it was. Uh, you know, just throwing a little more bragging in there. And uh, my, my senior year, about halfway through my senior year, uh, something happened something that I wasn't expecting. The girl that I had been pursuing for three years finally started pursuing me back, and it was awesome. And I even got to uh, not only be her date at one of the Greek Life events, but also DJ that same Greek Life event at the same time, which is super fun because I get to, do, I get to be like in the two positions that I really love, like being the boyfriend of this awesome girl and also being the DJ at an event. It's all kinds of fun. And our relationship started to grow and develop and all of this stuff. And I knew, like really early on, like within a month, I knew that this girl was the girl that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. Now, of course, I didn't act on that within a month because 
Uh, that might have been coming on a little too strong when after three years she just started, you know, <laughs> reciprocating some of these feelings here. But I knew. Unfortunately, there's this one practice that we have in our society of uh, an engagement ring. And they're not cheap. I don't know if, yeah, they're, they're not, they're, they, they cost a little bit of money. Um, and I am just getting out of college. I definitely don't have a job. I don't really, I, I had like a part, part-time job working at a church. And I definitely didn't have any job lined up because I was going to seminary, which cost even more money. And so this wasn't looking good for getting an engagement ring. Fortunately, I, uh, I, I had the assistance of uh, Kristen's mom, who she... Uh, lent me or gave to me the center stone from her engagement ring that Kristen's father gave to her. And we get to use that for the center of her engagement ring. So next time you see her, ask to see her engagement ring. It's the very same stone that her dad gave to her mom. It's really sweet and special. Um, and, and that helped a lot, but there was still the rest of the ring to pay for. And uh, I still didn't really know how to get that done. Except I had one asset to my name that awesome sound system that I had been building up for so many years. And I, I knew that we were moving into a different stage of life and I wouldn't be a DJ forever, although that still sounds pretty cool to me these days. Uh, but I, I knew that that wasn't gonna be a part of my life forever. But it was my, most of my identity in college was wrapped up in being a DJ. Like that's how I was showing up at events, was to play music. Uh, and, and that was awesome and everything, but I had to, realized that there was something more important in my life, something that was more worth it. And so, at the end of my senior year in college, I sold all of my music, all of my sound equipment, all of that stuff that I had accumulated over the years, sold it all in order to be able to purchase this engagement ring. And then on September 18th of, uh, of 2015, uh, Handed her that engagement ring, and there were tears and excitement, and then we got married the following year, and it was just like all kinds of greatness, and now we've celebrated over five years of marriage, and we're still loving life, but it took a moment of being able to say, is this worth it? Because that was my entire identity. That was one of the ways that I got to show up in her life was being a DJ and doing all of this music stuff. It was a big part of who I was, and I had, to, I had to realize that I needed to give up a huge part of who I was in order to build my future. We call this investing. It's an interesting concept uh, in our society, and it's what we're talking about during this uh, series of abundance. And I, I told you uh, last week that we're going to be unpacking what this looks like in the kingdom of heaven. But I want you to keep in your mind for a time that question of what is worth it to you to invest in. The kingdom of heaven this is an interesting concept. Uh, the gospel of Matthew uses the, the expression kingdom of heaven 31 times throughout, throughout the book. 31 times this expression has shown up. And it shows up in an important way as the entire reason for Jesus' ministry, the kingdom of heaven. 11 of those times, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven as a comparison in a parable. And, and 
Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven a lot for two different reasons. The first reason is to let people know how important the kingdom of heaven is. Because it's kind of a big deal. But people weren't really grasping it. And it still is a big deal. And yet people still aren't really grasping it. So Jesus needed to let people know how important the kingdom of heaven is. And, and even starting in uh, chapter 3, verse 2, is the first time that Jesus mentions this in the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then the very next chapter uh, begins Jesus' ministry. Uh, and, and, and it's after his uh, temptation in the wilderness uh, and, and baptism, all of this stuff. And it says, from that time on, Jesus began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then we get to the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount starts to unpack the second reason why Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. And that is that to let people know that they probably aren't thinking about the kingdom of heaven in the way that they should be thinking about the kingdom of heaven. And so chapter 5, we get into the Beatitudes, and we have this expression right off the bat in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, again, a few verses later, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus starts setting this precedent that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those that you don't think the kingdom of heaven should belong to. The poor in spirit. Luke's version of this just says the poor. And the persecuted, the oppressed. Yeah, Jesus is setting up this precedent that the kingdom of heaven isn't quite the way that we think it should be. Which is good news for us because we have a very terrible way of setting up kingdoms in our world. And he goes on into other expressions of this, uh, into, into saying things like, excuse me for one second, uh, things like inviting the children to the kingdom of heaven. Not only the children, but saying in, in chapter 18, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, these are, these are pretty interesting ways uh, that, that Jesus starts setting this up. And then he even goes so far to say in, uh, in verse 19, Jesus says to his disciples, oh, sorry, chapter 19, verse 23, Jesus says to his disciples, truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he sets up this whole understanding that the kingdom of heaven doesn't lie with our priorities. The kingdom of heaven doesn't lie with our priorities. And, and as Jesus starts going, going on and expounding more and more upon the kingdom of heaven, we eventually get to chapter 13, which starts off this list of comparisons. And it's as if Jesus has been talking about the kingdom for heaven for so long, but yet still the people aren't getting it. So Jesus starts using these comparisons. We call them parables because they're parabolic in nature. These, these uh, stories in which describe a comparison for something. And, and in verse 13, uh, chapter 13, we start getting this understanding such as chapter, uh, verse 24, Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. 
okay. Someone who sowed good seed in his field. Interesting. Or another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in a field. Maybe another. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Is this sounding very impressive to you? Because it doesn't to me. Someone who sowed good seed in a field. That's what you're supposed to do. Excellent. Someone who uh, takes a mustard seed and sows it in a field. That's what you do with mustard seeds, right? If you want to put any kind of use to it, you're not going to eat that mustard seed. You're going to put it to use. Or yeast, of all things, yeast, that a woman, a nobody, takes and mixes with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. A woman baking bread. The kingdom of heaven is like. This is a powerful expression that Jesus uses in not so powerful ways. And it's beautiful. And then we get to the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Oh, well that's something. I can get on board with treasure that is hidden in a field which somebody found and hid. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The end. Not satisfied? Okay. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And on finding one pearl of great value, ah, oh, a pearl, very good, okay, I can get on board with this. He went and sold all that he had and bought it. The end. These aren't very impressive stories. And that should be the most impressive part of this to us. One thing that we can confirm from Jesus' words that are, well, rather unimpressive here, is that the kingdom of heaven is an investment. Consider the first two, the kingdom of heaven is like someone who sows good seeds in a field. You don't sow good seed for no reason at all. Why do you sow seed? Anybody? Harvest. To harvest. Yeah, you want something from that seed. The same goes for a mustard seed. Now this one, he gets a little bit more expansive on it because the mustard seed, being one of the smallest of seeds, ends up producing this very large uh, bush-like tree, tree-like bush, whichever way it goes, uh, that even birds can come and nest in. And, and, and to, to this, uh, we see also this whole, similar to what Ms. Francis was talking about, this return on investment for something small, we get something large. And then we have the yeast that a woman, of all people, uh, puts into flour and mixes it until it's all leavened. The yeast is an investment in the flour that it becomes more than it initially was. And then Jesus sees the people aren't really getting it yet. And so he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and then hid. 
And in his joy, he goes and sells. Okay, we've well, got a financial aspect now. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field for that treasure. It's an investment. He invests all that he has, all that he owns into purchasing this field where this treasure is found. Similarly, the merchant of pearls finds this pearl of great value and upon seeing it goes and sells all that he has in order to invest in this pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like an investment and it is an investment like no other. Notice that as Jesus is talking about these uh, descriptions that the kingdom of heaven is like, they're unimpressive. This is so crucial to the gospel. Because what Jesus is essentially saying is that we stumble upon the kingdom of heaven in common places. In common places. A sower sowing seeds into a field, the growth of a plant, a woman baking bread, treasure that is found in a field. There are fields everywhere. I mean, you, you think that you know, South Alabama has a lot of fields. Try uh, being in Israel during this time. I mean, that's like most of the land. It's fields. Like, that's what they do. They're an agricultural society. Lots of fields. It's commonplace. And it was commonplace that treasure would be hidden in fields. There weren't banks during this time, and so people would hide their treasure, the things that they owned, in fields so that nobody else could get it. And then uh, they would ideally pass that information along to their descendants, but at times they died without being able to pass along that information. So there's just treasure hidden out in fields. And even a pearl found in a marketplace. So simple. A commonplace occurrence. I mean, you're going to the market and you find something of great value. That's important but it's in the most common of places. In other words, what he's trying to get his disciples, what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand is that you're looking for heaven up there. You're not going to find it up there. You need to start looking for heaven right here, right among us, even under the ground, in the most common of places, and in the places where you, for whatever reason, aren't expecting to find the kingdom of heaven. Anybody ever remember that... Uh, Nicholas Cage classic, National Treasure. Oh, that was a good one. We watched that movie probably 20 times in school because that was like the most educational movie they, that teachers could find for uh, a movie day, I guess. Uh, always watching National Treasure. A fascinating movie. I, I love the aspect of a treasure hunt. Uh, anybody remember where they end up finding the treasure? Spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie. It's basically right under their feet most of the time. <laughs> They're like walking on top of these great caverns that are underneath the, the, the city. Uh, it's right underneath their feet. It's right there among them. And all of the clues that they end up uncovering are very commonplace things. A pipe is one of the first clues that they end up finding. Uh, the dollar bill has evidence on it. And then all of these other commonplace uh, things in history that people start taking for granted. There are the clues. And then the treasure ends up being right under their feet, right where they've been this entire time. The kingdom of heaven is like this. But it's not a normal treasure hunt where you end up investing in the search. 
That's what most treasure hunts are. You invest in the search to get to the treasure. For this treasure, you invest once you find it in order to hold on to it. The, the person in the field finds this treasure and sells all he has in order to purchase the field. The merchant of fine pearls does the exact same thing upon finding it. We talk about investing because when we invest, we end up giving a part of ourselves to acquire something that is going to be worthwhile. And we have lots of different forms of investment. If I just want to name off the most basic kinds, we have things like stocks and bonds that we can invest in. We have mutual funds and annuities that we can invest in. 401ks and Roth IRAs, these are just some of the uh, commonplace forms of investment. But each of these, each of these forms of investment ask us to contribute, to invest out of our surplus. For example, if you give to a Roth IRA or a 401k, you have the option at the, at the outset of your paycheck to be able to say, how much of your paycheck would you like to start putting into this account? You say, well, I definitely don't want to put the whole paycheck into that because I need some of that. So I'm going to take the surplus that I believe I don't need right now and invest in it. This is the same for you know most forms of investment. You're taking what you believe you can contribute out of a surplus, not out of the total. The kingdom of heaven, however, is something that we invest in with our everything. The person who finds the treasure in the field sells all that he has. Imagine, imagine just putting everything that you have on Facebook Market or Craigslist or wherever you want to put it at. Probably don't, I don't know, Craigslist seems kind of sketchy these days. Maybe just Facebook Market, Spring Hill Trading if you're like in that area, whatever. Everything that you own. That's kind of a daunting task. All of a sudden you're left with nothing. And this guy's whole plan is to go out and buy a field that he has, that has treasure in it. That treasure must be pretty dang valuable. Same goes for the merchant of fine pearls. He does the exact same thing, sells everything that he owns just to get this pearl. I want you to consider for just a moment what would be worth enough for you to sell all you own in order to gain it. Is there anything? Anything? Well, not all treasure is silver and gold, if I can quote Jack Sparrow from... Uh, Curse of the Black Pearl, Pirates of the Caribbean. Not all treasure is silver and gold. We know, we know, we know that the kingdom of heaven is supreme to all else. Like there is no greater treasure. We know that. It's not much of a question really. The kingdom of heaven, like yeah, you hear that and you're like, yeah, that seems like a worthwhile treasure to stumble upon. At least we know this in our minds. We rarely comprehend this in our hearts. Why do I say this? I say it because the value of the kingdom is rarely reflected in our actions. Matthew chapter 19 tells the story of the rich young ruler. Wealthy young person comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments, lists them off, and the rich young ruler says, all of these things I have done. And Jesus says, you've done well, but you lack one thing. What's the one thing that he lacks? Anybody remember? Yes, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. 
and he goes away disappointed, despondent, because he was very wealthy. And Jesus says, how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Rarely is the value of the kingdom of heaven reflected in our actions. Our comfort and security take priority over the kingdom, even though we have never been called to comfort and security. We have been called to the kingdom. And so my challenge for us today is to invest, to invest in the kingdom and the work of the kingdom and to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, to invest in the kingdom. When we say something matters enough to us, then we are willing to pour ourselves into it. Matthew chapter 6 reminds us that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is. In other words, where you put your money, there your heart will be also. Or that is where what matters to you most is at. Financial advisors see this all the time. If you take your budget to a financial advisor, they can tell you what's most important to you by seeing where you put most of your money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I sold all of my sound equipment, my DJ stuff, that had defined much of my identity in college because I knew that the person I love is worth it. My heart was not as much with DJing as it remains to be with Kristen Curtis Wright. There's so much more that the kingdom has to offer. And we see from these two parables we have before us today that we invest in the things that matter to us, the things that are worth it to us. And today, I am asking all of us to be willing to invest in the kingdom of heaven with all that we have. Let us pray.